Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Daniel. The Old Testament book of Daniel and Daniel chapter number 2. Daniel and chapter number 2. We are beginning a brand new series dealing with the Millennial Kingdom. The Millennial Kingdom is the thousand year reign of Christ. And before we can start in that series properly, we have to start with some preparatory work. And we have to understand the basis of prophecy and how to interpret prophecy within the framework that God has given. And in the book of Daniel, God has allowed Daniel to be received the framework of how all prophecy falls into place, how it puts together, that every piece of the pro- uh of prophecy, each piece of the puzzle that we find throughout all of Scripture has to fit within this framework. So it is vital that we understand the framework of prophecy. And the very first frame that we find, the very first edge, the very first border that we find to understand, to get the correct interpretation of prophecy, we find in the book of Daniel chapter number two. Daniel chapter number two, and if you don't mind, we're going to pick it up right in the middle of it, starting at verse 26. Daniel chapter two, starting at verse 26, the Bible says this, the king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Bethshazzar, Art thou able to make known unto me the dream which I have seen and the interpretation thereof? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king hath demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show unto the king. But... There is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days, thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. As for thee, O king, thy thoughts came into thy mind upon thy bed. What shall come to pass hereafter? And he that revealeth secrets maketh known unto thee what shall come to pass. But as for me, this secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than any living, but for their sakes, that they sh- that shall make known the interpretation to the king, that thou mightest know the thoughts of thine heart. Thou, O king, sawest and behold, held a great image. The great image whose brightness was excellent stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. This image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part iron and part clay. Thou sawest till a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon the feet that were of iron and clay, and brake them to pieces. 
Then was the iron and the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces there together, and they became chaffed of the summer threshing floors. To the wind carried them away, that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream, and we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. Thou, O king, art a king of kings. For the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beast of the field and the fowls of the heaven hath he given into thine hand, and thou hast made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold. And after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee, and another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom, which shall be as strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces, and subdueth all things, as an iron breaketh all these, it shall break in pieces and bruise. And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes of the potter's clay, and part iron, the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it of the strength of the iron, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with the miry clay. And as the toes of the feet were part iron and part clay, so was the kingdom partly strong and partly broken. And whereas thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed and the kingdom shall not be left to other people but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever for as much as thou sawest that stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and it break in pieces the iron and the brass the clay the silver and the gold the great God hath made known to the king what shall pass hereafter, and the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof is sure. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a name of God that is found in the book of Daniel chapter number 2? This is a phrase that refers to, to God and who he is several times throughout the scripture here in Daniel chapter 2. But notice with me in Daniel, Daniel chapter number 2 and verse number 28. Notice this, a God in heaven that revealeth secrets. A God in heaven that revealeth secrets. And we're thankful for this God. And this God here reveals through Daniel to Nebuchadnezzar about the image of the world kingdoms. The image of the world kingdoms. And with the Lord's help, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we start this brand new series, we understand that these first couple messages are very important. That we understand that we get the correct interpretation. That we understand that what you are trying to tell us and get across in this framework of prophecy. Because this is so important and there's so much information. I'm asking that you would just direct me with your Holy Spirit. That you would direct my mind, direct my thoughts, direct my
direct my tongue, direct my everything that's a part of this, and that you would get across exactly what needs to get across. With so much information, Lord, I'm asking that you sift through it and that you just deliver what is necessary, what is important, what is going to help us as we come to an understanding of what you have planned and future events. Again, with such a heavy responsibility and such an important message, I dare not trust my own. So once again, the best I know how, I surrender myself to you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And that you would illuminate this passage through your precious Holy Spirit in this message now. We love you and we trust in you. Depend upon you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. As we come to the book of Daniel chapter number 2, there are some things that are going on. Remember that Daniel had been taken from Judah, from Jerusalem, when he was a small boy in approximately 605 B.C. And so he was taken with several important people, which would include Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and several others. And as young teenage boys, and I'm talking about young teenage boys, probably about 12 to 13, they were brought to Babylon. And they were given Babylonian names. They were given Babylonian food and they were expected to go to the Babylonian schools. And through it all, they, these young teenagers had enough character in their lives to say, no, we're going to follow after God. We know that we can eat whatever we want. We know that we can get away with whatever we want. And even though our parents are here to watch us, we're going to choose to follow after God anyways. And so Daniel was, as he made a choice to follow after God with his life, that God had blessed him with it in a special way, and that God had brought Daniel into the Babylonian empire for such a time as this. And now Nebuchadnezzar is being dealt with with God. Nebuchadnezzar is the king, the emperor of the Babylonian empire. And that he is what is called in history as an absolute ruler. He did not have a parliament or a congress to regulate what he does. He does not have a supreme court. He does not have anyone who regulates that what he says goes. That if he says, I'm going to send you to jail, you go to jail with no trial. If he says, never mind. I changed my mind. There is no court of appeals. There's no one to object. He is the king and his word is law. And it and whatever he says goes. He is very much the absolute ruler. And Nebuchadnezzar, as we start off, we're getting the context of it. That Nebuchadnezzar wakes up one morning and he has a dream that he knows is important. And it kind of just floats out of his mind. And he says, man, this is important. I need to know what this, this was vital. And I can't get a hold of this dream. I can't remember it. Have you ever had a dream where you woke up and you really wanted to remember it, but it was just fleeting and gone away? Well, he knew that there was something special about this dream, that this was a dream like no others, and it bothered him. It kept him up. There was something about this dream that he needed to remember, and he can't bring it. He can't formulate it. can't have it in mind. So what he did is he called all the witch doctors, the sorcerers, the, the uh, soothsayers, the everyone, the wise men, all the people who believed in magics and telling the future and scientists and anyone he could get. And he interviewed as many of them as he could and says, all right, I want you to tell me the dream. And they said, no problem. Or tell me the interpretation of the dream. They said, no problem. Tell us what the dream is. And he says, that's the problem. I don't remember the dream, so you got to tell me the interpretation of it without me telling you what the dream is. 
How would you like to have that task? What does this dream mean? But you don't know what the dream is. And they told the king, nobody knows this. This is beyond our ability. Nobody could tell what's in your brain. Nobody could tell you what it is. Uh, and so they all shrugged their shoulders. And Nebuchadnezzar said, well, fine. You are all liars. You're all useless. I'm killing you all. And he sounded an order to start gathering up to be killed. Wonderful to be in the charge of the king, right? Well, the guards came knocking on Daniel's house and said, Daniel, we're here to arrest you. <laughs> what did I do? What's going on? What's happening? Well, the king had a dream and he can't remember the dream, but he wants people to tell the interpretation of and everyone shrugged their shoulders and says it's impossible. And so now Nebuchadnezzar's mad at everyone and he's going to kill everyone. So Daniel tells the king, he says, can I go talk to the king? Sure. Notice if you don't mind, we'll just pick it back up in verse number 14. Then Daniel answered with counsel and wisdom to Arok, the captain of the king's guard, which had gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arok, the king's captain, Why is the decree so hasty from the king? Then Arok made the thing known to Daniel. Then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time and that he would show the king the interpretation. So basically, Daniel says, Nebuchadnezzar, if you give me some time, I'll tell you the interpretation. Will you, can you do that? King really wants to know what's going on, so sure. You take the time, you come back with the interpretation. No pressure, right? It's a lot of pressure going on. Notice what happens, verse number 16, uh, verse 17 rather. Then Daniel went to his house and made the name known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. We usually call them by their Babylonian names, which is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego his companions, that they would desire the mercies of God of heaven concerning this secret, that Daniel and his fellows would not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Now, they did what was right. They came to, they came to a problem that they did not know the answer to, so they had a prayer meeting. You know, that's usually the first thing we need to do is go have a prayer meeting. Go talk to God. The Bible talks about in the book of James that if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of the Lord who will give all things liberally. He'll give you wisdom liberally. And you know what? He also says he abradeth not, meaning he won't call you stupid for asking for wisdom. He'll be glad to give you wisdom. He'll be glad to give you what you need to know. And we have a God who is a revealer of secrets. Notice in verse 19. Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in the night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. He changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. And he giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness and the light that dwelleth in him. I thank thee and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers, who hath given me wisdom and might and hath made known unto me now what we desired of thee. For thou hast made now has now made known unto us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went in unto Eric, unto the king that had ordained to destroy the wise men of Babylon. And he went and said thus unto him, Destroy not the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king 
the interpretation. And so what we see here, first of all, is the context. Now we dive from the context to what we see here, the dream. Let's see this dream. And this is where we're going to spend a lot of time because this dream is so important. Now, notice with me in verse number 25. Then Eric brought in Daniel from the king in haste and said unto him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah that will make known unto the king the interpretation. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Bethshazzar, Art thou able to make known unto me the dream which I have seen and the interpretation thereof? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king hath demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show unto the king. But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Now notice this. Here we understand our first piece here that this is a picture of what is happening in latter days. Or if we would have put it in context, in Daniel's future. And Daniel's future. So this is something that's going to happen in Daniel's future concerning the latter days. So this is something that's going to go from Daniel's time moving forward. If I can make an interjection here, that some of this is our history. And so we can look forward to kind of in the middle of this. And we can look backwards and we can say, look, it happened just like God said. But at Daniel's time, this is all future. It is all prophecy. And so this is considering the idea of the latter days. Thy dream and thy visions of thy head is upon these bed are these. Verse 29. As for thee, O king, thy thoughts came into thy mind upon thy bed. What shall pass hereafter? Once again, it's saying this is future. And he that revealeth secrets make known unto thee what shall come to pass. Notice these phrases that are coming across. Talking to Nebuchadnezzar. This is things that are going to happen in the future. These are future events to where you are in time, king. Verse number 31. Thou, O king, sawest and behold a great image. This was the image whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. Remember, this word terrible carries the idea of awesome, that this was an image that he looked at it, and you go, wow. So he sees this big image in the form of a man. It's bright, and that is amazing. Verse 32, the image of it, of the head, was of fine gold. So we start off, the head is made up of gold. And so we're trying to keep track of what's going on. The head is made up of gold. Then we come to the next part. It says, verse 32, The image's head was made of fine gold. His breast and arms were of silver. And so the chest and arms, they were made up of silver. Afterwards, still in verse 32, this image head was made of fine gold. His breast and arms were of silver. His belly and his thighs were made up of brass. And so we see the materials. It starts with gold. It goes to silver. Then it comes to brass. It comes to brass. As we continue reading, we can see that there's still materials here. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse 33. His legs of iron. His legs were of iron. So the materials of his legs were made up of iron. 
Then we come to the feet. Notice again in verse number 33. It says, His legs were made of iron, and his feet were made of part of iron and part of clay. So his feet was a mixture of iron and clay. Those two materials don't work well together, but this is what the material was. So it's kind of like a patchwork job that some were of iron, some were of clay. Notice, if you don't mind, we continue on to see as Daniel's t- telling him. He's not the interpretation yet, but he's saying, this is what you saw. Verse 34. Thou sawest tell a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were made of iron and clay and break them to pieces. And so what happens is that Nebuchadnezzar sees this huge image. An image of a man that is just bright and glowing. The head is made up of gold. Its chest and arms are made up of silver. Its belly and thighs are made up of brass. The legs are made up of iron. The feet are made up of iron and clay. Then in this image, this dream that he has, he sees a stone that comes down and it hits the feet of clay and iron mixed and it when it hits the feet and clay it topples and destroys the entire statue the entire image so we could see this stone which was made up of stone as you could probably imagine it comes and basically does a bowling hits the feet and the feet and it topples and destroys the entire um, image now we have this is the dream Now let's see if we could dive in the interpretation, if you don't mind. Notice with me in verse 35. Then was the iron and clay and the brass and the silver and the gold broken to pieces together and became like chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and it filled the earth. So as these images continuing on, the stone hits this image, it falls apart and all the materials, the gold, the silver, the brass, the clay, the iron... It all blows away, kind of like chaff in the wind. The chaff is the uh, unused part of wheat that you would uh, have to beat the wheat to get the grains to fall apart from the chaff. And what happened is this was knocked over. All of these other materials just floated away until they weren't seen. They weren't left behind. They weren't seen altogether. All that was left was that stone, and that stone grew into a great mountain, and that was the only thing that was left behind. Now, verse 36, this is the dream, and we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. So we start off with the, with the, the dream, then we come to the interpretation of it. Verse number 37, thou, O king, art a king of of kings for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom power and strength and glory and wheresoever the children of men dwell the beast of the field and the fowls of the heaven hath he given to thine hand and hath made thee ruler over them all thou art this head of gold. So as we start off, we understand that the interpretation is is that Nebuchadnezzar, who is the king of Babylon, what's going to happen is that we're going to see these world empires come into being. That Nebuchadnezzar is this world empire representing Babylon. And that Nebuchadnezzar 
is very much in charge. That God has placed him at this time. We saw that in the book of Jeremiah. That it was God that placed Nebuchadnezzar. And that Nebuchadnezzar is in charge of all the known world at this time. And so Daniel says, you are the man. You are this head. Babylon is this empire, this head of gold. Then we see as it moves on in verse number 39. And after thee, so after Babylon, shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee. So what we see is another kingdom rise up. Now, according to Daniel chapter number 7, we're not going to spend time there, but I provided you a chart that explains the interpretation that Remember that Daniel is talking about forward ahead of time. We can see that in Daniel chapter 7, once again, that the interpretation is given that is in their future. We can go back and compare as history. And we can see that there was another kingdom that came after the Babylonians that were inferior to them, but another world empire by the name of the Persians. Now, if you notice looking at the materials, is that the materials all decrease in value as you move forward. That we consider gold one of the most precious materials, right? If you want to make your wife or girlfriend happy, you give her gold something. She likes gold, likes pretty things. After that comes silver, which is still precious, but not as precious in the eyes that we set things as gold. After that comes brass. Brass is not as, as um, precious, but it is still a, a precious metal. Then after this comes iron. Iron isn't precious at all, but it is stronger. And then comes the feet of iron and clay. And so what we see here is that each one of these kingdoms grow more inferior. Now, what does that have to do with anything dealing with history? Well, I'm glad you asked. Remember what I said about Nebuchadnezzar, that Nebuchadnezzar was the absolute ruler, that whatever he said went, that if he changed his mind, so what? He could change his mind. Everything that Nebuchadnezzar said, everyone did. The next kingdom to come up after him was the Persian Empire. Now, the Persian Empires, even though the emperors were considered gods, they could not do everything they wanted. They had a rule called the law of the Medes and Persians. And that whenever a Persian emperor would declare a law, that law would be written down. And because a god cannot make mistakes, that law can never be changed. And so a Persian emperor was regulated or limited by the previous laws made by other Persian emperors. And so he didn't, was not an absolute ruler, but there was some limitations on his power. He still had a lot of power, but it was inferior to the power of the kingdom before him. Make sense? Notice this, if we see this Come, uh, continuing to move forward, we could see verse 39. And after this shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee, and another third kingdom of brass. So after this is another kingdom of brass. As we understand from the interpretation of Daniel chapter 7, and in history, this next kingdom would be of Greece. The Greek empire led by Alexander the Great. 
Alexander the Great conquered the known world and then he died and then the Greek Empire was broke up into four different parts and they fought against each other. Now that is more inferior of a kingdom than what the Persians had and it was inferior to what the Babylonians had. These four different kingdoms fighting against each other that they didn't have unity. Notice as we go on we could see that there is another kingdom in verse number 40. And a fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron. For as much as the iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things, as iron breaketh all these things, it shall break in pieces and bruise. The next kingdom which comes to pass inside of world history, according to history and the interpretation of Daniel chapter number 7, is going to be the Roman Empire. We understand the Roman Empire was the empire of iron. That they used their swords to conquer the world. They went out under Julius Caesar, Mark Antony, Octavius. All these Roman emperors, these Roman people. But the Roman government, even as they went out and conquered. And they went and bruised a lot of people. They went and conquered all the way to Spain. They conquered all throughout Europe. They went to the Gaul. They fought the Germans. They went and just was known for conquering they had a lot of limitations. There was limitations on even the Roman emperors. They had the Roman, uh, the Roman Senate to deal with. That inside of it, Julius Caesar, who was named dictator, they went around and Brutus and his friends killed him on the Senate steps. That they had a lot of limitations. They, Julius Caesar did not have absolute power. Octavius Caesar did not have absolute power. That they had triumvirates. They had a lot of politics. They had a lot of people who did not want a Roman emperor, they wanted a Roman senate. And that put a lot of things, even though their army went and conquered the known world. As we go forward, we can see that beyond that, verse number 41, whereof thou sawest the feet and toes, part of the potter's clay and part iron, the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it the strength of the iron, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with clay. Now we come to something interesting, that each of these empires were conquered one after another. That the Babylonian Empire was destroyed by the Persians in 536 BC. The Bible mentions that in several different places. The, of the destruction of, of Babylon. The Persian Empire was destroyed by the Greeks in Alexander the Great in approximately 333 BC. And so the Babylonians were destroyed. The Persians were destroyed. After that came the Greeks. The Romans destroyed them and became known in world politics in about 150 BC approximately. Then we come, after the Roman Empire, we come to something different. The Roman Empire was never conquered. But instead, the Roman Empire collapsed in itself. So they did not have anyone to conquer the Roman Empire. It collapsed in itself. So therefore we see the feet of iron and clay. That means it still has derivatives of iron. And it is mixed together into Roman derived governments. So Roman derived governments. What in the world does that mean? I didn't know we were here for a history lesson. 
Well, because the Roman Empire collapsed and was not conquered, that the Roman Empire continues on in our culture and our thought. That even though we are in the U.S. of A., we're in America, what has happened is that our Western culture, the culture that we have, which is uniquely different from an Eastern culture, our way of thinking, our way of laws, our way of doing things is based off the Roman system of government. Even our calendar today is based off of a calendar come from Julius Caesar. That we talk about August. We talk about October. Those are Roman days. We talk about our Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Those all come from a Roman calendar. The way that we think. The way that we have Western thought. The way that we have our court system. The way that we do our laws all come from the Roman government. Now what does this mean? That what we are today. If we were to put up in a timeline. Where in this section now. In feet. We can look back and look at history. But we are at feet. Waiting for the rest of history. To go on. The rest of this prophecy to be fulfilled. That we are part of a Roman derived government. But guess what is going to happen. Eventually. Notice with me if you don't mind. In verse number um, Thir- uh, 44. Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. In the days of those kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and shall stand forever. For as much as thou sawest the stone that was cut out of the mountain without hands, and it break in pieces the iron and brass and clay and silver and gold, the great God hath made known to the king, and it shall pass thereof. And the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof is sure. Now what happens in Nebuchadnezzar's dream is that this stone rolls down, hits this feet of iron and clay, which is where we're at, knocks down all of the world empire, destroys all of world history, that basically that history stops and is renewed with the millennial kingdom that Jesus Christ earthly kingdom that he physically sets up on this earth and reigns for a thousand years so this is the thousand year reign of Christ if you can able to spell millennial you might put millennial there but I'm spelling challenge so I cannot so I'll just put the thousand year reign of Christ For all my things I write, I have to have spell check because I can't spell millennial for some reason. Good. But that's the thousand year reign of Christ. What we see here in this dream is the framework of all of history. That we're starting off that we have Babylon. Babylon is replaced by the Persians. The Persians are replaced by the Greeks. The Greeks are replaced by the Romans. The Roman Empire is not replaced by anything. But it collapses in itself. And the Western thought that we have today. Is all based off the Roman thought. And that what is going to happen. Is that these Roman empires. It derived empires are still going to exist until Jesus Christ destroys the entire system and makes his own kingdom stand forever. 
And no one's going to be able to conquer it. No one's going to destroy it. It is going to last until time stops. And time will stop at the end of the millennial kingdom. But this is what is being seen. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream of this. And he knows that this is important. And God does this in such a way that Nebuchadnezzar forgets. So that way God can tell Nebuchadnezzar. There's a God up in heaven. There's a God that's bigger than you. Let me tell you some things that are going on. Which brings us to the last section I want to show you in Daniel chapter number 2. That we see the context. Then we understand the dream. Then we see the results. The response of this. Notice with me in verse 46. Then the king Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and worshiped Daniel. Now, we understand that he's not supposed to worship Daniel, but I want you to think about this is a king who has absolute power. This is a king who, whatever he says goes, is falling down at his feet and he's worshiping because he realizes that there's something bigger than himself. He realizes there's a God in heaven and he is humbled at this time. Verse number 46. Then the king Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and worshipped Daniel and commanded that they should offer an oblation and sweet odors unto him. The king answered unto Daniel and said, Of a truth is that your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets. Seeing that thou couldst reveal this secret. Then, Daniel, then the king made Daniel a great man. And gave him many great gifts. And made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon. Chief of the governors of the wise men of Babylon. Then Daniel requested of the king. And he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, when he was faced with this, he realized, you know what? There is a big God in heaven. Now, for us, we understand that we can look at history and look that there's something still ahead called the millennial kingdom. And we have to have this framework that just as real and as physical as these other kingdoms were, this millennial kingdom is not a spiritual kingdom. It is a earthly kingdom. It is coming physically. It is coming literally. It is coming and Jesus Christ is going to rule on this world. And his government is going to replace all the governments of the earth. And so we have that application for us to understand prophecy. But as a spiritual application for us today. I want to remind you that there's a God in heaven who knows everything. And he's a revealer of secrets. And that you may lack wisdom, but God doesn't lack wisdom. He knows everything. He knows what you should do. He knows where you should go. He knows what you shall say. And he can give you understanding for any wisdom that you lack. You have a big decision coming up. Any man ask, uh, lack wisdom, let him ask of God. And he shall give it to you liberally. Aren't you glad for that? That there's a God who knows everything. Now, we're not talking about divine intervention that if you didn't study for your test and say, God, please give me the answer to this, uh, that may not come to pass. But when you're looking at decisions in life, you're wondering, what should I do? Where should I go? What shall I say? Who shall I date? Who shall I see? Who should be my friend? Should I listen to this CD? Should I watch this television program? There's a God in heaven who can guide you in all things. He could give you anything that you need. Aren't you glad there's a God who sees everything? There's a God who's not limited by time. 
our God could see in the future. There's a God who's not forgetful of the past. He sees everything that happened before. There's a God who knows where you're at. And if you have proper communication with him, you could ask him anything. And he can give you wisdom for the decisions you need to make. There's a God who knows everything. And that's the application that Nebuchadnezzar got. There's a God who is a God of kings. He is a Lord of kings. A God of gods. This is a God who is a revealer of secrets. This is a God that I should worship. This is a God that I should trust. And so let me ask you today. What decision do you need help with? What area of life do you need wisdom on? I want to invite you today that there is a God who wants to give you wisdom. There's a God who wants to show you truth. The most important truth you could ever know is do you know for sure that Jesus Christ is your personal Savior? There's a God who knows every sin you ever committed and He loves you anyways. And is willing to forgive you of all your sins. And if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, it would be our privilege to take the Bible today and to show you from the Bible how you can know without a doubt that your sins are forgiven and that there's a God who has a place for you up in heaven. As for us in a practical life, I invite you to come to a God who can give you wisdom for any decision that you have. And if you want to, to know the answer, he'd be willing to give you the answer if you're willing to obey. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.